0: Are you looking for a fun and informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Poddog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Poddog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week we're going to be speaking with guest expert Georgie Armstrong from K9 Brain Training about some of the similarities and differences between training a gun dog and training a search and rescue dog. How are you today, Georgie? I'm great, thank you. I'm so excited to, to talk to you about this because obviously, I hope by now I know quite a lot about gun dog training but I don't really know a lot about search and rescue training and I watch like my friends who've got like mountain rescue dogs and different types of dogs and people who work in the police and I think how exactly are we training them? So I'm going to ask you lots of questions about like the similarities and differences between training both but before we get into that tell me about your background, how did you even get involved in all this?
1: so i i got involved in this so i went to um work on a farm and they had labs that were working the cattle and working the sheep and up until then i just thought of labs as sort of house dogs that got got a bit overweight like i had nothing to do with them and i was like wow they're they're brilliant and uh the dog that we used to work the um cows and the sheep with had a litter uh so of course I had a pup from that litter. And uh I started actually training him as a gun dog, not having a clue. I think I was uh, I was about 19, I think, then. And I had a terrier and that was it. That's that we'd grown up with dogs, we'd grown up with collies, but I had a terrier and I got this working lab and I thought, oh, you know, I'd seen all these well-behaved Labradors wandering around. And this lab hit 12 months old. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> and uh, he started barking. Um, he used to bark. So I took him and did um, just some fun scurries and things like that. And he was absolutely brilliant, but he started yipping and then he started barking. And at the time I didn't have a clue, you know, how to train that out of him or not. I obviously he didn't want to use anything aversive. And at the time it was all aversive that the advice I was being given um, and I actually just went to a guide dogs fun Um and they had a, there was a search and rescue team there that had a stand and they had a sign up and it said, does your, does your dog like a tennis ball? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so I uh, went over to the stand and spoke to them and I said, look, you know, he absolutely loves it. He'll search for the ball or the dummy. And I said, but he barks. And they were like, absolutely perfect. When our dogs find a person, they bark. Um, so that was how I started it. I joined a team, um, went and did some training with them. Um, so when you join a team first, you have to go and what's called um dog's body for them. So you hide for their dogs, um, and then you can have your own dog assessed and start training your own dog. So that's how I started, and that was search and rescue. Um, so Dexter was he was just coming up for two, I think, when I started um, training him with them and it was very much the first sort of work to do with search dogs that I'd done um so I just listened and did as I was told um and then I gradually started to get questions in my head um about you know oh well you know what what if I did it this way or why do we do it this way um and a few times I sort of got which I think with a lot of training sometimes you just get well that's how we do it and uh, I was OK, there must be other, <laughs> there must be other ways. And uh, so I travelled. Um, so I was living down near Berkshire and Oxfordshire then. And um, I travelled up to Wales, Ireland, Scotland and the Lake District quite a lot to train with the mountain rescue teams and the, and the search dogs up there and started to learn. There's a hell of a lot more that goes into this um, than I know. And I got really, really hooked on it. <laughs> Um, And then so whilst training Dexter, I was very lucky with Dexter, like search and rescue was the perfect thing for him. Um, He was an air scent dog, what's called an air scent dog. So he'll search for any human scent. So you wouldn't search like an urban environment with him. It would be out on the hill. Um, or in the woods, and uh, he'll so he'll find any person. But obviously, you're usually out at night, so hopefully, it is the person that you want to find that you uh, that you come across, not some person that's camping in the woods and uh, gets a bit of a scare. Um, so I started. I was training him, and then whilst I was out in Ireland on a training exercise, um, one of the guys out there had a drown victim search dog. Um, so she searched on a boat. Uh, for, for drowned victims she'd also search on land um, and I was like wow this is unbelievable how can a dog pick up the scent of a person that's under the water um, like, like 40 meters under the water <laughs> um, so that was I was like right you know my next dog that that's what I want to do um, so I looked for a dog that was doing that already and was like right when this dog has a litter I want you know a puppy from this litter uh so then I got my Springer Tula and so obviously when you start training a search and rescue dog that searches for live people it's really easy because the people can just run away from the dog with a toy and go and hide and the dog goes to find them so it's quite an easy way to start the training and build it up whereas obviously with dead bodies you can't do that it doesn't work um so I then that's when it sort of started to cross over into more of the detection side of things like um similar to explosives so when you obviously the dog gets imprinted on a scent um so they get conditioned to a scent exactly the same as yeah expo or drugs so I started going to other trainers that trained detection Um, as opposed to just the search and rescue Um, and then I realized there's this whole massive world of pet dogs, sport dogs, operational dogs all doing um, so in with pet and sport it tends to get called more scent work Um, and I realized that whilst I've been teaching people with their dogs sort of fun search and rescue like hide and seek you know with your dogs in the woods I could actually teach in the dry (laughs) in a village hall or or similar and not be out sort of on Salisbury playing getting soaking wet every every weekend, which obviously a lot of um, other people didn't particularly want to do. And I didn't also have to rope people in to um, go and hide for all the docs. I could just put odour out. Um, So that's when I then started canine brain training. So all the search and rescue stuff's voluntary. So I was traveling everywhere and it was obviously costing me lots of money and I was like right I've got to do something about this <laughs> um, <laughs> so I started canine brain training um, from there and started teaching um, I went and did my instructor qualification abroad because I wanted to do a qualification so I did my instructor course um, my stages over a year whereas I found in the UK most of the courses were sort of one to two day courses. Um, and I really wanted to make sure I was, you know, doing it properly and getting the experience I I needed. And, um, yeah, so I started canine brain training and, yeah, went full time with it, I think, in 2015. I think it was.
0: Like, listening to you, I'm already incredibly fascinated. I was incredibly fascinated from the first sort of line of I went to work on a farm where there was a Labrador Herding cattle and sheep, because I have never seen that, just like you've never seen that. But I suppose we don't realise the unlimited potential a dog has to work doing lots of different things, isn't it? We've maybe got somewhat... I think it's definitely falling away now because we've got the idea of this sort of multi-discipline dog now can do loads and loads of things can be a gun dog on a saturday can be canny cross on a monday can be something else on a tuesday and they they thrive on it so but the idea of the traditional roles they're quite set really when you think of like a lab don't you you don't think of a lab as a as a as a working farm dog
1: no no not at all um and i hadn't it made perfect sense as well because i mean um the it was, it's um judy at butts farm <laughs> if anyone wants to go and see the labradors working the dogs, working the sheep but they she did have obviously collies as well but it was it worked perfectly because if you had um like if the cows were a bit spooky or they were new or something like that the labs were just a lot more steady so like peach dexter's mum she used to just move move them a lot more steady and they just sort of everything just was a little bit calmer and then if she needed obviously that dog to really run out you know a long way um, to the sheep or the cows then the collies were obviously in their element um but no it it did work really well and I think the thing with the labs is they'll give they've got something with people they've got so for, for me for um an air scent dog like for a live person search dog I there's some fantastic breeds doing it I've seen lots and lots of different breeds lots of gun dog breeds so lots of collies and Lots of gun dog breeds, so springers, uh, pointers, uh, Wieslers. Um, but uh, for me, it'd be a lab. If it's live people, it'd be a lab. I just feel like they've just got that sort of connection with people. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. No, they're brilliant.
0: You invested a lot of time and money into volunteering to go and do what is incredible work. Search and rescue is, is something I'm always amazed by the amount of things that go on in the UK to to really help people like the RNLI, like Mountain Rescue, like search and Rescue, where they run on a voluntary charity basis, but do such incredible work. And they are the people that many times our police forces, our ambulance forces, our fire service will call in to do a rescue that they are not trained to do. Do you think as you were doing that work, it kept on broadening your mind into like all these different things a dog can do?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, The water stuff um, was massive. When I first um, found out about that, I was just completely mind blown. Uh, So I knew about cadaver dogs already. So searching for victims on land. But when I went out and saw the dogs working on the boat, I was just like, this is nuts. You know, there was um, we So my dog when she was a baby baby, we just put her out on the boat. Um, the other dogs were out there doing assessments and things like that, but I'd just gone to learn and she happened to come with me. Um, and there was a hide out in, I think it was Lockery, um, in Ireland and it was two and a half years old and 40 meters underwater. And she knocked it like she would, you know, when I train at home, she was no different. Um, uh, when, you know, I've taken her abroad and worked her. On, on live sense so human because in in the uk you can't obviously work on a human tissue because the human tissue act yeah. um so i've taken her abroad and the first time she worked on real as it were abroad she was no different she just indicated perfectly like it's yeah it, it's sort of it's quite addictive but it is it is a bit weird when you get a text um every now and again that's like i'm going to the dentist <laughs> do you want my teeth <laughs> or something like that yeah. i think when I last mess with my other half I think that's what happened they said you've got a message on your phone of someone just asking if you want their tea <laughs> and um, I said yeah yeah
0: that's normal that's fine <laughs> yeah because like I'm sure there are loads of listeners thinking oh my god this is like fascinating a little bit like not gruesome it's not the word gruesome because the work that these dogs do is so so valuable but it is a little bit like unexpected to say you know like oh my dog's a gun dog my dog's a carnivore dog or oh, my dog searches for dead people underwater yeah it's like it's a bit of a shock to the system but I suppose if you like start looking at like the similarities when we send a dog out to find a dead bird on water it's I'm always fascinated because I think well how do they even know what it is the water moves around frequently how do they even trace that but when you're then talking about a dog being able to mark on a tissue like an order at a severe depth, it shows you their capability, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, so the, the odour, the scent, the human scent travels through the water. So it, it goes through. So when you've got current underneath and the wind on top, you've got like another dimension, as it were, to the search, because obviously the current can pull the odour down um and then the wind can be bringing it the opposite direction so and also the dog's on a boat so the dog can't move um so obviously when you're working on land you know you put a dog out obviously you watch a springer quarter you know you can see them hit the scent cone they work it in work it towards wherever the bird might be and exactly the same for any odor um whereas on the boat they can't you know they can't say can you turn me left or right it doesn't work like that so That also taught me um, more than anything else I've been doing to read my dog. Because if I didn't read my dog, we wouldn't find. Whereas obviously on the land with Dexter, um, if I didn't see him pick up odour, he'd go anyway. You know, he'd go to that scent regardless. Whereas if I miss it with her... missed it and if you're on you know we train up on Ullswater in the Lake District for example it's like you miss it you've got a hell of a lot of lake before you're going to get back to where that is um and I think you definitely have to have a certain type of dog um not necessarily breed but the way they are the way they think I think they've got to be a certain type of dog to sort of to, to do that really
0: I think when you look at the working breeds there is something in their eyes and their facial expressions that just says I am so switched on you don't even know how switched on I am yeah definitely when you sort of obviously you've got search and rescue dogs and you we're talking about gun dogs do you train gun dogs or is it just search and rescue dogs yeah, so I uh,
1: just so we when I um, met Della my other half he shoots and he had uh, Bethan she's a uh, she's now three she was a young young lab, so he would beat um, with her and she went on his sort of little syndicate shoot with him. Um, I had a very different view about like shooting and and gun dog work because I'd only worked on the shoots sort of down south on massive shoots in sort of the organization like catering side of it almost so for me having my absolute my main pleasure like standing on the side of a mountain and watching my dog work miles away from me you know pick up the scent of a person I'd only seen like gun dogs sort of picking up in a you know in a fairly flat field super obedient which is I now understand completely needed in that environment but at the time I had almost quite a stubborn view about it I think because I was like oh no that you know they don't have any fun they just have to sit and be really well behaved and then just retrieve and then when I came up to Wales I went out um I went out beating with him and was like Wow! Like they have to actually search, and then the dogs, obviously, that pick up up here. You know, the shoots are in the valleys or on the side of the mountains. And I was like, this isn't that different. And it was a real sort of eye opener. Um, So now, yeah, we've got um, Oak, who's six months. He's um, he's going to be quite interesting because with the S A R stuff, which I'm sure we'll go into, I'm much more less obedience. You know independent dog needs to just search and then obviously with the gun dog stuff i completely understand that you need like a you know a high level of obedience with your dog it can't just run in on 500 birds in front of everyone else so oak is a lab he's six months so he will hopefully pick up for us um so training him is going to be quite interesting because obviously it's going to be a lot of similarities with, with a lot of differences. Um, and then Dylan's just got a little uh, Irish spread, uh, Springer. So she's she's got fab lines. Generations and generations of dogs that beat and pick up. Um, so we're sort of, we're going into it a lot more now. And every time I do it, I learn about both, you know, see the similarities, see the differences. Um Betsan are lab she was very much she was you know super obedient and then we got to a point where she wasn't as interested so she didn't want to go out and pick the dummies up and I then pulled from the detection the search side of it I was like well I think we just need to make it more fun for her you know it was we'd sort of thought so much about the the discipline as it were of like you know how she needs to be on a shoot and she'd kind of she's very very um strong-willed very clever dog and she's like wow well, I don't know why I would do this then really you know if it's not that fun for me so we took it right back to just searching out on the field for a ball you know really made it fun for her um and then and that was from my search rescue side um so I was like or oh, detection I'm not you know they have to have the value in the reward so for for us to go out they're not going out and searching for hours for a dead body or a person they're going out because when they find that person they get their toy you know and they, and they get their reward so I took that and then we put that to her and obviously now yeah she's a super happy little dog and uh so yeah work really
0: well you make a really valid point there because a lot of us when we first come into uh gun dog training and there is so much information like online. trainers and you it is really hit and miss you will either find somewhere that teaches you it can be fun you can get just as much a result with it being fun or you might accidentally fall upon a very traditional trainer where there is no fun there is just do and like you said by being able to bring in fun you kept the dog excited about it and you made really valid points like what is the point in it for the dog if the dog has no enjoyment out of the end result? Exactly,
1: yeah. And that's, yeah, I see it all the time when I teach, um, you know, pet, pet dogs, sport dogs, um, operational dogs. It'll be, you know, are they, they search, they know where the odour is, but they're not telling me where it is or they won't stay on on their alert. So the, the S A R dogs um, for life people, they'll go out they'll search for the person they find the person and usually so you either to they'll either have what's called a standover bark so they'll stay with the person with the body and bark until the handler gets there um, or they'll do what's called a refine so they'll come back bark at the handler or, t- or some of them jump it depends on what indication that person has and then they'll take the handler back to the person um, so they know where they are and obviously the search part easy that's fine and it would move very quickly to you know the dog finds where you know we're doing really long searches but they're not they're not indicating you know they're not coming back and tell me telling me where they are and um it is the foundations of that reward you know if if the dog's not getting the dog will go out and search because obviously that's great fun for the dog but when it comes to the sort of the bit that's not as natural for the dog like right okay I've got to go back Got to go back, tell the handler, then come back in. They're only going to do that if they're doing that for a massive reward at the end of the game. um And it's the foundations that one of the team, the, Lake, the Lake's um, dog team, are absolutely brilliant at putting in the foundations on the reward with the dog. So it's generally a toy because obviously the the person can have a lot of interaction with the dog. So like Tuggy or something like that you know they can have a real game with the dog um but I have it with my detection dogs um and all my clients you know I try and say um you need you need to vary it you know you need to do more and you can do it with food um you know a trainer that I worked with um came up with a really good way of remembering it yeah he said to me try three different things every time you reward your dog doesn't matter if it's the same reward like if it's food because obviously a lot of my clients um their dogs don't particularly like toys maybe do three different things with it so like if it's a ball you can do um throw it into the long grass so they're almost getting a search as their reward still you can bounce it you can get them to sit you know sit and stare so our indication detection is like a passive sit and stare like the expo dogs um you can do that and then they get the ball but try and do three different things with it and then you've probably given your dog enough reward or more of a reward than you would have. it's so common that I see the dog finds and indicates it's like yeah well done here's a treat and then they'll go and chat to the person next to them about how they did it or you know xyz you know what might have happened
0: absolutely love that that's going to be like the top tip well top tip so far but I really love it and I've never actually thought that we give a reward it's one reward there's cool concept like just doing some more stuff with reward so the reward is even more rewarding is yeah. it's just so great isn't it sometimes the littlest littlest tweak to the way we do something can make such a massive impact on the results can't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think in probably every seminar or lesson I go and do, um, I will say, you know, if someone was paying me a fiver to do something, I'd probably do it or I might not bother. If I was getting 50 quid, I'd probably be a lot more start to go and do it and do a better job so I think it is it's really really important um and you do get the dogs like you know I'm really lucky with Tula my Springer she will work all day and I'm pretty sure she takes her award just to please me I think she just she has, she has a little um a little fluffy con toy that fits in my life jacket and she'll play with it for a minute and then she's like right come on let's just get on with the job you know I don't, I don't need to I'll play with this for you if it makes you happy because you think I'm rewarding you that's fine but like definitely a primary reinforcer is to actually search and be out doing the work but most dogs yeah they will get to a point where they sort of just suddenly think hang on a minute what is what is in this for me or they'll find their own reward that's obviously the other thing that I get with search dogs and I'm sure um and I've heard a lot of people you know with gun dogs my dog just goes off and hunts by itself Um, so they'll then seek their own reward and then you're in a real a real uh a real deep
0: hole trying to get out of that yeah and it's really interesting the comparisons there and gain the similarities you know when a dog self-rewards you've got to have something incredibly special to get it back from self-rewarding to rewarding with you and- I like what you're just saying there about your your dog going, well, yeah, come on then, let's let's reward <laughs> let's reward mum by actually playing with her. Yes, you've been a good good handler, <laughs> but yeah, um, it is this, this concept that they you've got to find the reward that suits the dog I and mean, you. Yeah.
1: Massively, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I do, you know, we do a lot with that. Um, and I do a lot with that, you know, with my young dogs. Um, and I don't mind what the dog has as its reward. Um, obviously. Puppies, as they get older, they change. You know, sometimes when they're really little, they're not as interested in toys so much. Um, Or I think you can really overdo it with toys sometimes. Um, You know, if you do, I try and sort of stick to if I'm doing retrieves, it's like three retrieves per little session. If we're playing or anything, you know, not even necessarily working. And that's it, because I think you can definitely sort of you know they get off this is you know this is not fun I'm just going backwards and forwards um but yeah definitely work out what works for those dogs um I think I've actually just because Tula um now so she had she, we had COVID and then she had a litter. So, um, and we're due a baby as well. So we're not, we're not, we're not going back into such a rescue anytime soon. So I took her out um, at the end of last season, just on sort of a cleanup day, like beating. And um, she absolutely loves it. But obviously because I've trained her to clear huge areas it's really different for her because i need to keep her obviously a lot closer to me and where she's not she is foodie you know if you're in the house you can do training with her and things like that but she's very much i know my job you know i don't i don't need to do anything else so i like i've just ordered now um like the squeaky rabbit skins on the end of a long long tuggy just to see if actually you know, playing with her with that gets her more engaging because I need to work on her closeness to me. Now when she works, you know, she'll be changing completely. And it's just trying new things. And she's nearly seven. You know, it doesn't matter what age the dog is. You definitely want to get that. You know, Dexter was obsessed with tennis balls. And I was like, well, there's no way I can only have a tennis ball reward for People because tennis balls are everywhere. He finds one on every single walk. <laughs> um So the Kong squeaky tennis balls—that is what he gets when he finds a, finds a person, you know. And it, that's the only time he has it because then the reward becomes high value. I think quite a lot people are like, "Oh, my dog doesn't really like toys." You know, it's not got a specific toy that I can play with it with. And it's like, well, is your house? You know, if you've got toys out in the house, it's like, yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. It's like, well. If they're out and everywhere, it's not really got any reason to go, oh my God, we're playing with that toy. So I do tend to encourage my clients to try and find something exciting for the dog that then comes out like when they're working. Because I think that definitely it's like when the gun dogs you get the dummy bag out and they're like, Yes, I know exactly what we're doing today.
0: Uh someone once taught me, and I say it all the time to my kids and drives them mad, is um if there's biscuits in the biscuit barrel, what's the point in biscuits? And it's quite true. If the biscuit barrels fall all the time, nobody wants them. You let that go empty for a month or two and then put in some like rich teas. Everyone wants a rich tea, but it is that thing, isn't it? If we've got constant access to something, it it loses all its like excitement. altogether, when Sporting Saint came to us and asked us about um, coming up with a product for them, the tennis ball, um, I don't know if you've seen it, we came up with a tennis ball. Yeah, Yeah. the wrap. Yeah, and the whole reason that we came up with that, we came up with it as a group, is like it is that whole thing, isn't it? Dogs are obsessive almost with tennis balls, but not so much with dummies. So if you can get that bit on there, and again, we see huge difference because we've just brought a different excitement to a canvas dummy for a gun dog, and it's that aligning completely to what you were saying, which is it's just making what you're doing that bit more exciting that bit more fun that bit where you can say to the dog well okay you can self hunt but that's not going to be as fun as you come in and play in with this con
1: yeah yeah exactly like I'll have you know when I get a dog so occasionally we have dogs in um for training um so for like to go out on a project or something like that and I will let that dog settle obviously and then we'll get out a bucket of toys and there'll be a rabbit ball in there, a tennis ball, you know, a Kong, maybe a Tuggy, just a few different bits and then engage with the dog with them all. And they just pick the one they want. You know, they, they pick the one that works for them. And there are the dogs that one day it's one thing and one day it's not, you know, I've got a um, Springer that comes to me and she comes with treats and a tennis ball and a soft squeaky squirrel because you know one day she'll get the tennis ball out and he'll go mental and then the next day she'll get the tennis ball out and he'll look at her like what's that I don't I just want treats right now why are you why are you getting this ball out for me um but it is nice when you can get um you know you can get them on a toy and you do have to watch um their arousal level um you know one of mine my pointers was absolutely obsessed with Kong um to the point where you know on a search if he had his Kong during a search or something if we were searching for two he was on pyrotechnics so we'd do more than one find um he couldn't think then you know he just went over the top couldn't think so I used to reward him differently and then at the end he could have his Kong um and he actually ended up he had it with food you know when he went back in in the car in the van so it's it's finding that level of like really high reward but not something that sends them completely over the top that they then can't think either or possibly yeah using it at the end rather than halfway through
0: we've looked we've talked a little bit about like the similarities we've talked about um like obedience so, and the differences in the obediences and the similarities in it and we've talked quite a lot about um, how, you know, well, your stories are fantastic. I'm enjoying every single one of them. I could spend all day talking to you about the stories and, and how <laughs> you train them. But, you know, and we've talked about how with the training programme, for both, there's similarities, but it's about being structured in your training and, and training the, the dogs to do a job. But understanding it doesn't matter what age they are, uh, you know, what they're going to do. You can train them in, in an organised approach, can you?
1: oh yeah definitely so um we'll have stages like official stages technically that the dogs need to reach um within training so they'll have you know their evaluations and their stage one two and three for example and then obviously the puppies um so I try and work on the puppies and I know we're going to talk about cognition in a different seminar. so we're in a different podcast probably so I won't go into it but the dog's um, ability to problem solve and use their inference um, for me for learning is much more beneficial than using the handler um, and them using their memory. So those dogs that, you know, they'll remember the length of time um, they were searching for, or they'll remember the how far out you threw the dummy the last three times. um, It's not as helpful as those dogs that will just go out and problem solve themselves. So I've seen it like, in, in search and rescue when you're, you know you'll work a dog and if you've hidden a body a person behind a fallen down tree four or five times and that dog's got really high memory generally they'll clock a fallen down tree and just go and check behind it anyway um so I like to Work on my dog's ability to problem solve. So, all they're searching for is that odor. They're not thinking, oh, it was here last time, or, or well, we only did three runs last time, or it was only 100 meters away, or whatever it might be. I just want them to work on that. So, I focus on um, their natural hunt uh, drive first. So, just little, and obviously, it's, it's the same with the gun dogs. It just depends on what they're doing as to how far out they'll be searching away from me. Um, whether they're for, for gun dog work, whether it's for detection or a person, it's, it always varies. Um, and then I like them to learn the foundations and so the obedience side of it to work out themselves almost. You know, so I'll just wait and they'll sit, and then I'll throw it back out. You know, and they're learning themselves. Right, okay, I you sat down quietly and it got thrown out. You know, when I was messing about on the end of the lead crazy excited if I'd let the dog off then to go out and search for the ball or whatever it might be then that's exactly what they're going to do the next time so rather than putting in um so I don't put in I didn't use to put in hardly any obedience with my dogs at all because I wanted them to work away from me um independently you know they know where the odor is I don't um, and we were obviously working much bigger areas. I didn't have the, any of the worries of, you know, being in the right place for the birds or anything like that. I just had a woodland search for a person um, or a lake. Um, and then obviously recall is really, really important. And we also stock test them. Um, so they have to be okay around stock and they obviously have to be okay around people, but I didn't use to put in a lot of the obedience and then, now and then obviously realize i think there's definitely more involved in the gun dogs you definitely need a bit more obedience but i think it's actually the way they're taught it so i have a lot of dogs now but like what you were saying about the multi-discipline stuff that come to me and they're not they're not operational detection dogs or search dogs they are sport dogs you know they're doing agility um they might do gun dog work as well or, or canny cross and you you have to have obedience with all those things you know I some some people do trick work with their dogs which is or obedience you know huge really high level of obedience and then they want their dog to go out and search independently in a builder's yard and not look to them for direction Um, and I think it's the way it's taught so if you let them sort of self-discover and let them learn themselves how far they need to be working away from you and that they can problem solve on their own they don't need to come and get you to do it because we are so like we love helping our dogs (laughs) and the amount of times I have is that you know that they'll know where it is and they'll direct the dog wherever it might be Um, Mm -hmm. as soon as that dog gets into a problem it'll just go straight back to the handler. Like, right, tell me, tell me where you want me to go then because you did last time. You know, you did last time, it got a bit difficult. So I like my dogs to learn and get the confidence that they can do it on their own um, while still obviously having the obedience that, yeah, I can stop them and not cross a road. <laughs>
0: it, it can be really hard, like you just said, but like, you know, sometimes, what are seconds, feel like minutes? Like I know sometimes I might have put out the blind and I'll take a dog. And, and I literally have to almost, like, squeeze my hands together and keep my mouth shut. Because you want to say, oh, go left, go right, or, you know, whistle to them. And you just like, actually, if I just let them alone, like you said, they'll work it out. If they are miles and miles off it, of course, correct them. But yep. if they're in a rough area, I, I do my very, very best just to, to stay quiet and let them, like you said, develop the confidence that, If mama said it's roughly here, it is roughly here.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think you can, you know, you don't have to task or direct the dog to help them just by placing, like, you know, I use the example if you're stood, yeah, in a field or wherever you might be, you know, it's generally got corners, you've got somewhere where you've put it so you can place your body so you're making that area smaller for the dog. So without calling the dog in, directing the dog, just by facing the right direction, like placing your body In almost like you know, making a triangle for that dog to work in, it's gonna generally go and work that area just because of how you're standing. And um, I always have with my novice dogs or or puppies, I'll always have two, so like two balls or two dummies as well. So I'd much rather drop an easier one out without them seeing that they'll then come across than direct them to the hide because then you know all that confidence and problem solving, you might as well have not bothered to do it in the first place. Whereas if they then still get that find they've still done it you know they've still worked for that period of time when you start getting that little look back at you like you know you can see in their face they're like oh I should have found by now you know they're getting a little bit anxious before they come back to you for help I tend to put a second one out so that they find rather than they get into that habit of you know they come back and you have to send them out again and if they do that, then I know that with that dog, it was a bit long. You know, it's a bit too far. The search the search was a bit long.
0: Well, we have so much more we could talk to, right? I am very aware I've kept you for, for quite a long time. And people who are walking my <laughs> dogs listening to this, they are definitely getting in extra steps because we've kept them going for probably. An <laughs> um, if anybody wants to um, find you online, how can people find you if they wanted to talk to you about anything we've discussed so far?
1: so canine brain training is the easiest one and that's you can put canine brain training into google facebook instagram it'll all come up and it all comes to me so any of those platforms um my website's got contact form that comes straight to my emails um facebook canine brain training and yeah instagram canine brain training so any of those will work and they'll all come straight through to me
0: thank you so much i thoroughly sincerely enjoyed every moment of it um We will definitely, I'm sure, be seeing you do lots of things. I've got a thousand questions for you offline about dogs, scent, how they smell, everything. (laughs) Um, I I will be picking your brains for days. You have literally blown my mind thinking about the fact of how far underwater they can smell. And if you think about that, sometimes, just to build on your last point, we go in to save them sometimes when, like you said, if they can find something like underwater like that, If we just gave them a little bit more time, they probably would find they smelly dummy. It's just giving them the time to work it out, isn't it? Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And I think it's just natural. You just want to help them, especially when they're young, like a little puppy. You're like, oh, no, just go this way. Just go over here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Thank you to all our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I've enjoyed recording it. if you want to get a hold of Georgie, please follow the uh, details that she's given and we look forward to speaking to her and to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to LWDG Podcast with me, Joe Perrett. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short, 10 minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page the Ladies Working Dog Group and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com